0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Scottish Clans Podcast. I'm Clint Edwards, and I'll be your host again, as usual. Maybe someday I'll get a co-host. I think that would be fun. I try to talk my wife into it, but she kind of balks at it. It'd be kind of fun to have somebody to co-host with me where they're, they don't come from a background in this at all, and they can catch me on all the times I make reference to something, or use a term or a word that I'm assuming everybody understands, but nobody really does, except for maybe a small percentage, she can catch me on that stuff and say, hey, go back up. You need to talk about what that is to people, for people who don't, who are just barely getting into this. So that'd be, I think, pretty useful, but I haven't talked her into doing it yet. Also, in order to have more than one person do this, I found out you need this little box where different sound can run into it. And it's a, at the at the low end of it, it's about two, two, $250. So I haven't really got into getting that yet. But once I do, and I do plan on doing it, I will maybe have some co-hosts or have some guests on this. And I've got already in my head, I've got a list of people who I think would be interesting to have on here. If you know somebody that you think would be really important to have on here, uh go ahead and leave it in the comments on the Facebook page or on the comments on Pod the Podbean app or in the review re- leave a review on iTunes or or on Spotify and let me know who I should have on when someday I manage to get this and when I say someday I don't mean like in the years from now I mean I mean maybe if I get a good tax return and I come up with a couple hundred bucks of disposable income I can <laughs> I, and as it is, as it is, I do. I, I we try to. My wife and I try to watch our budget pretty close, and and that is on the list. It's just not at the top of the list right now. Anyway, welcome to part two of the the Gallaglass series. So episode, well, it was episode 24, but the first episode of this, part one, was just an introduction to the Galaglass, who they were, where they came from, how they came to be in Ireland fighting for Irish chiefs, even though they're from the Hebrides and West Highlands of Scotland, and what they looked like, the armor, the weapons they used. Anyway, get getting into some of the over the general stuff. Then part two, I got into talking about some of the particular, specific kindreds or clans that you see pop up more than others as galaglass There's probably people from all sorts of different backgrounds and surnames. It wasn't just, it, I think it's really easy to want to, at least maybe I'm just speaking for myself, I don't want to speak for you all, but I, I have a natural tendency to want to categorize everything, put everything in their nice little tidy boxes and this goes over here and this is in this category and over here and I have just come to see that rarely in life is it that tidy. And so you probably saw people not just from a handful of specific surnames but you if you could go back in time and see these people in as much as they even had a surname which a lot of people did not back then except for the upper class, you might see more variety but there were certain names that come up more than others as Gallaglass kindreds and that goes into different political things that were happening in Scotland and creating an environment where they're outsourcing a lot of their military strength. I talked about one of those being the Scottish War of Independence and for those clans who did not side with Robert Bruce, he, he remembered that when he gained the throne and he took it out on him and so it kind of became a hostile environment back in Scotland especially if you were MacDougall who sided with his bitter enemies the Cummins because the chief of the MacDougall. Clan and the chief of the Cummins, who was making the bid for the throne, were brothers-in-law. And so they they backed the Cummins, and so when Bruce murdered John Cummins in, the, I think it was the Greyfriars' Abbey, that didn't go over well with the McDougal's. They ambushed all this. You can see this play out in The Outlaw King. And anyway, that doesn't go well for the McDougal's once Bruce gets the throne. So we, I, I went into a little bit more detail on that in Part 1. And in part two, dealing with the particular kindreds and how they end up in Ireland, because it's different for some kindreds than others, like the McDonald's. Angus Og McDonald, even though his older brother Alastair had sided against Bruce, Angus Og was it was a lifesaver for Bruce. And so the reason you find that McDonald's in Ireland fighting for different Irish chieftains is that for a completely different reason than you would see their kinsmen, the McDougalls there, doing the same thing. And today, I'm going to kind of wrap this up, this series on the Galaglass, by talking about three more kindreds that I haven't mentioned yet. Now, one of them is one of the most common ones, but if you just do a Google search or read a Wikipedia article on the, the Galaglass warriors, you're going to see the, the first Clan that I'm going to mention. There is very common, and I'll. My goal here is not to go into way deep detail on these different clans. Just, just to continue to give you an overview of which clans were very active in this glass movement as they hired themselves out as mercenaries, coming from the Western Highlands and Isles down into into Ireland and becoming mercenaries down there for them. So. If you need more detail on the background on that, go back and check out episode 24 and then progress through and learn about the different kindreds. So the first kindred I'm going to talk about are the McSweens. The McSweenes, if you just read the Wikipedia article or just do a Google search on Galaglass, you're going to learn about the McSweens. They are a very, at the very forefront of this Galaglass movement. Now the, the McSweens, their origin, I will touch on this just a little bit because I've seen conflicting things on this. In some sources, I've seen them say that Sween is a Gallic variant of Sven, or Svein, which is a Scandinavian name. And so these same people will say, well, clearly the McSweens were from Scandinavian descent, which would be very fitting. F- For that they were Gallo-Glass, right? Because the Gal part of the the, in the Gallic breakdown of the term Gallo-Glass, Gal means foreigner, and it's every source that you ever read on this will say that that Gal part of Gallo-Glass refers to the fact that these men coming from the Western Highlands and Isles were of mixed Scandinavian and Gallic descent. And and if you think about it, when does this movement start? It starts in the mid twelve hundreds. And in 1263 is where the Norwegian king was defeated at the Battle of Largs with a little help from the weather. And so it's that same time period that the Norse crown, or the Norwegian crown, I should say, loses their grip. And it wasn't the Battle of Largs that did it. There was some diplomacy that happened after that. And so a couple years later or so, the Scottish crown acquires the the Norwegian-held territories of the Western Isles and adjacent mainland territories. Now, it would be a little bit longer in the future, another couple hundred years, before the Scottish crown gets the Northern Isles, meaning Shetland and Orkney. So that's a different story. The, the islands off of the west coast of Scotland, the Hebrides, which were in Norwegian control up until the 1260s. But that, that 1260s, that time period is about concurrent with the time period that you first see these Galaglass warriors showing up in and in Ireland, working for Irish Lords and Chieftains. So that may have been something that contributed to this movement, is the, distra- the, the loss of that Norwegian power. And, and so all this is the historical and cultural and ethnic context from where the McSweens are coming out of. So were the McSweens were, were they of Scandinavia? Or at least, I mean, look, all of them were probably a mix. It doesn't matter if their last name was completely Gallic there's not a lot of pure red people in the world of any kind. So I I don't think we should get too wrapped around the axle about some pure bloodline of any kind. And and the dark side of that, you can get into the Nazi stuff, but even, even not going dark with it. And you're just like, well, I just want to know where people come from. Well, it just, it still doesn't even make that much sense because just cause you have a, a Gallic surname doesn't mean that you're Purebred or, or anything, or your mom, both parents have a Gaelic surname. We all mix with each other so much. And just because you get a, a Y chromosome DNA test and it comes out R1B1B, which is kind of the in the marker for the original Aborigine pop, population of the British Isles, and the whole at, uh, west coast of the Atlantic coast of Europe, really. But, I don't know, just because you have a certain marker, I, I mean, that doesn't, a Y-chromosome DNA test doesn't test every aspect of your DNA. It just shows you the, the, the paternal line. That's all it shows you. So, well, I mean, I, I'm getting kind of in the weeds on this with the McSween's. They have a, some people think that Swain comes from Svein. Now, here's why I don't agree with that. I, I mentioned a long time ago, and actually somebody had asked for a link to that that book I mentioned It was a collection of essays by John Bannerman called Kinship, Culture, and Community. No, Kinship, Church, and Community. I can't remember. I don't have the book sitting right in front of me because I'm not really using it for a source on this. But I, let's see, there was somebody on the Scottish Facebook page who was asking about that and couldn't find it on Amazon. And so I shared the link for that. Anyway, I'm I'm I can't I'm looking through my different people who have responded on the Facebook page right now. I'm looking for that link, but I I don't see it. Anyway, John Bannerman collection of essays kinship church and community. I think that's what it was. Anyway, John Bannerman goes back and studies the the old original primary documents primary sources for the vik like what would be concurrent with the Viking age the late 700s 800s 900s and and even these annals go back farther than that so I'm talking about annals of Ulster annals of Tierno uh, what else the Shannecas uh, Feralban which would be the uh, the history book of the men of Scotland translation so in in there you see in in these in these old, old, old sources. Going clear back into the 600s, you see the name Sweeney pop up. It's so it'd be spelled S-U-I-B-H-N-E, Sweeney. And so that's where you get the McSween. And we see that name in Gaelic before the Viking Age. So I'm not really on board with the fact that the McSweens are from a Svein, a Scandinavian, and that's where they come from. The the McSween, there's a book, there's, and I don't know how old this book is, I'm not actually looking at anything on this book, but it's called the Lever Clanneswene, and in that book, and that's kind of the McSween's foundation book, it says that they come from an Irish prince named Anrahan, and he hands over the the inheritance that he was going to receive moves to Scotland, marries into royalty and ends up with a pretty big chunk of territory in the Western Highlands and in Argyle. And you guys, I don't, I don't know. I can't go back in time and actually verify all this stuff. We're only as good as our records, but that's, that's kind of what we've got to go off of. And so we see this clan originally Irish in origin establish this, this kindred establish themselves in, in Argyle on the western seaboard of Scotland and they they actually have this in the, in this territory one of their strongholds is Castle Sween and it's supposed to be the oldest or one of the oldest stone castles in Scotland now why did the McSweens end up in Ireland in the vicinity of where the McSween territory was, which they controlled Napdale. They controlled all that territory that goes up in between Loch Awe and Loch Finn. Loch Awe on the north, Loch Finn on the south. And now this would later become, right, the heart of Campbell territory. So this is kind of interesting that this their loss of power here creates a vacuum which can be filled later on, which ends up being filled eventually by the Campbells. But the reason why that Ter- territory opens up is because I explained a little bit earlier with the MacDougalls and their side in the whole Scottish War of Independence, which is happening just a generation or so after this Norwegian-Scottish conflict and the Battle of Largs. So that's the mid-1200s. The Scottish War of Independence kicks off in the late 1200s. And with the MacDougalls taking the, the losing end of this, the McSween's were actually followers of the McDougal's. The McDougal's were the power in that part of Scotland where the McSween territory was. And so they were uh, loyal to the McDougal's. And so you can imagine with Robert Bruce going back and crushing the McDougal's and and taking most of their lands. Now, keep in mind the McDougalls still maintain on, and they, they cling on as a – not a cling on. There's a couple different ways you could associate that word – but they hold on. They hold out, and they still maintain some territory in Scotland. They're not completely pushed out of Scotland. You do see in later generations, you see the MacDougals are still a clan. They're still an operating kindred within the West Highlands. But not the McSweens. The macsweens in Scottish history tend to disappear. Now, this would be a possible major, major factor in their movement to Ireland, to greener pastures, at least politically greener pastures. So, the Macdu- the, Mac- the McSween's end up in, there's there ends up being three different branches. They get established in Donegal, in the northwest of Ireland, in Connacht, working for the O'Connors in the west of Ireland, and in Munster, down in uh, the Kingdom of Tomond, and they, they end up working for the O'Briens down there. So... The uh, and and oh, and going back to Donegal, the branch that settled in Donegal. I believe they were working for the O'Donnells mostly, who were the the kings of Tyrconnell. So, so you have that, they get established down in there. That's and then when they get established in Ireland, their name changes because there's with with Sweeney. S-U-I-B-H-N-E. There's a couple of different ways linguistically that you could go with that. And so in Scotland, you see that the name is mostly McSween and Sween Castle, But in Ireland, they maintain the, the pronunciation of that E on the end. And so you get the name McSweeney, Sweeney. Uh, anyway, and that, this name becomes associated a lot more with Ireland in future generations than it ever does with Scotland. Just checking to make sure I don't miss anything. I think that covers, I mean, that covers everything and more, I think, in my notes on the McSween's. Now we're going to transition to a couple of kindreds of Gallaglass that you really never associate with being Gallaglass. And that, the first one of those are the Cummins. Now, I had never known, but I was reading this um, in one of my sources, which is, let me give you the full official thing, the Gallaglass of Tomond, and then it gives... The, the the Gaelic or the Gaelic-Irish version of that. And this is an article by Luke McInerney out of the North Munster Antiquarian Journal, Volume 55, 2015, just in case you want to get real deep into this and follow this up. And you can learn, if you follow that source, you can learn a lot more about this than what I'm going to share with you now or that I have time to share with you now. Um, the the Cummins are, do become established in down in there like the like the uh, McSween's do in Tolment. Now, in case we wonder how thoroughly Gaelicized they were in Scotland the Cummins because keep keep mind the Cummins come from a Norman background and they become at, at before the Scottish War of Independence, they are one of the most powerful kindreds in all of Scotland. They got territory all over, the far north, the very far south, everywhere in between. The Cummins are a big big deal in Scotland, and that all comes to the end with Robert Bruce, so I don't know if you're, if you're a Cummin, you have Cummin background, Um, I don't know what to tell you, man, (laughs) because they, they don't, after this change of power and Bruce gains a throne, that does not go well for the Cummins, and so on that end, it makes sense that they would become Galaglass, but except for the fact that these clans that are, that become Galaglass, that we associate with this Galaglass movement, are not usually Norman clans. And on top of that, the Cummins were not a West Highland clan. And then I always wonder how, you know, we know that certain Norman kindreds become very Gaelicized. Uh, I think that's the word you would use, the Frasers that settle up by uh, Loch Ness and have their, their their chief's residences up closer to Inverness, just southwest of there a little bit. They they become very Gaelicized. We see them very active in the Jacobite movements with their fellow Highland clans. I mean, you, Frasers, Chisholms, we, we you wouldn't the, the Grants. You wouldn't really notice by looking at these guys and listening to them and listen how they, they speak and dress and act and behave and are organized and their clans and stuff. You really would probably wouldn't notice much difference between them and any other Gaelic, thoroughly Gaelic Highland clan or Gaelic. But, um, I never really I guess maybe in my head, I always thought the Cummins just kind of were I don't know, but here I see that they're becoming established in this movement, this Gallicglass movement down into Ireland, which was a very, very Gallic, you know you it's, it was Gallic speaking gales from the West Highlands and Isles coming down into Ireland, which was Irish speaking, I know there's some back and forth on. Do the Irish, when they talk about their own language, they say Gaelic. Do they say Irish? The Scottish people say Gaelic. I don't know. So just per- forgive me if I just cross lines here a little bit. There's because there's some nuances, but the uh, this movement was a Gaelic movement. This this Gallo thing. It was it was done by Gaelic speakers, and it was Gaelic speakers fighting for other Gaelic speakers, Gaelic speakers, and so I just find it interesting that the Cummins end up in the middle of all this. Um, I explained why they would have motivation to try their fortunes as soldiers for hire in Ireland after their part in the Scottish Wars of in- War of Independence found them on the losing side. So just I just think that the Cummins are conspicuous in not being a... I never thought of them as a West Highland clan, nor as a, a, as a, as a very Gallic clan. But here they are right in the middle of all this thing. So there might be some cultural implications for this if you have Cummins background. Now the other clan I wanted to mention are the Campbells. Now, the Campbells are a West Highland clan, and I've, I've mentioned Campbells in previous episodes, and so I'm not going to go into a ton of detail here. I'm just going to talk about, try to focus mostly on the Campbell involvement in Ireland as Galaglass. So, how do they get involved? Lady Agnes Campbell, she was originally married to James MacDonald of Dunnyveg. So, another person who's based, at least, in Scotland, even though the McDonalds of Dunnyveg have territory in Antrim in Northern Ireland. Now, this James McDonnell, he dies in Shane O'Neill's prison. Shane O'Neill is the O'Neill, the, the chief of all the O'Neills in, in Northern Ireland. He, kind of the most power. I, I, I believe, you, could you say that he was the most powerful Irishman in Northern Ireland at this time? He'd, he'd at least be a strong contender. Now, when her husband dies in his prison, Agnes Campbell, ironically, remarries a man in 1569 named Turlo Lunach O'Neill, the son of Shane's cousin. And it's, it's he who ends up succeeding Shane as the O'Neill. So while her first husband perishes at the hands of the O'Neill, she re- remarries the guy who will succeed him. I don't know, I find there's some irony in all that. And Agnes is the daughter of Colin Campbell, 3rd Earl of Argyll. Now, when she marries Turlo O'Neill, she brings with her 1,200 warriors as her dowry. That is a lot. That's a big dowry. That's a lot of people. 1,200 warriors. And this, now, so keep in mind, this is kind of at the height, the 1500s, you see a crescendo of this movement from Scotland to Ireland with mercenary warriors. Now you can get in the, there's this thing called the red shanks. Maybe that'll be a topic for a, they weren't exactly the same thing as a gala glass, but they're coming from Scotland, but they're more seasonal. Anyway, and that happens in the 1500s. You see this marriage and this dowry with Agnes Campbell coming to Northern Ireland, 1,200 warriors. Now, her article in, the, in the, the website undiscoveredscotland.com states that Gaelic tradition allows women to lead troops, which she did, against the English, but it doesn't say which battles or battle. We also see her negotiating treaties on behalf of her husband with the English, who were impressed with her fluency in English and Latin. Quite a woman. Now I just want to make a quick note on the Campbells. Campbells are an interesting clan and they've they got they get a lot of bad press for I think there's a kind of a perception of the Campbells and I don't think that all of this perception is a fair perception. So one is the the massacre at Glencoe. That was a huge stain on Campbell history. Now, just for the record, and this is something that happened in the 1600s, just a brief overview of this. You got the McDonald's of Glencoe who, their chief, had made a sincere effort to get somewhere and sign a, an agreement a, for the crown, and it, it was, I don't know, there's there's a lot behind this, there, and maybe it could be a whole episode, and it probably deserves to be. But the, the chief didn't get there in time, there's a there's a lot more to the the story than that, but the chief didn't get there in time, and he, the, he but he did get to he eventually signed it. He just didn't do it in time, is my understanding. I'll go back and I'll make an episode on this and I'll correct all the stuff. But I'm just kind of flying off the top of my head here. Anyway, the government wants to make an example out of him, so they send a, a government troops that are quartered at his his headquarters in his home. He, so he's putting these guys up, he's entertaining them, he's feeding them, showing them a good time, and at, when they receive a letter that's kind of the trigger, they get up in the middle of the night, the government troops do, and start killing McDonald's. And it's interesting in this case, so this gets pinned on the Campbells. Now the government force was not made up all of Campbells, but the Campbells did provide key leadership for this massacre. So, so it's their name that's on it. But it's interesting that the McDonald's who fled, fled up and over this, this pass and down to the other side where they took shelter with, guess who? Campbell's. So it was Campbell's on the, the massacring end. It was also Campbell's on the sheltering end, but they don't get any credit for the sheltering of these refugees coming in from this massacre. Anyway, so that gets pinned on them. Another thing that happens to the Campbell's is, so you have the McDonald's who are set up, the Lords of the Isles, the paragons of Gallic society and promoters of all things Gallic in their culture. And the Campbells are represented as the antithesis to all that. They, these dirty traders, they side with the non-Gallic central government and they to, and it's not just their siding with the government. They, the Campbell chiefs operate well in lowland circles they 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 operate they maneuver they've got it figured out so they kind of wear two hats on the one they are highland chieftains in the west highlands a very Gaelic speaking area and but they 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 can go down and operate just as well and mix in with lowland peers and do well there too so I, I don't know that if that's kind of what gives them a bad image, but there were two Campbell branches who were were lowland, those of Cotter, then that's now, that's up by Inverness, which is considered the Campbell, considered the capital of the highlands, Inverness is, and the Campbells of Cotter were up there by that, but it's, but that low-lying area around the Murray Firth becomes Scots-speaking, I don't know, maybe in the 1500s, I don't know. It's, it, the Campbells of Cotter, you could go back and forth whether they are highland or lowland. The The sure enough lowlands were the, lowland Campbells were the Campbells of Luden. I, and I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right at all, at all. Some, so anyway, the, uh, these branches were the exceptions within the Campbells. You also had the Campbell branches, where you had the main Campbell core of it is uh, the Campbells of Argyle, of Inverary, the, the castle of Inverary. These are the earls of Argyle. They're the chiefs over all the Campbells. And that's, so that, that is in a very Gallic speaking location. You have the Campbells of Glenorchy, Ardkinglis, Auchinbreck, and Craignish, And so all of these, this is the core of Campbell territory is in very Gallic speaking areas. And so um, we talk about the Gallaglass, we see that while it's true that the Campbell chiefs had no problem marrying women from the lowlands, they also had significant marital connections, as we see with Agnes, with the Gallic world. And additionally, Colin Campbell had another daughter, Finuala, married to another Gallic-Irish chief. And so the Campbells, I don't know, I think we see Lady Agnes Campbell bring these 1,200 warriors from Scotland to Ireland in kind of what might be considered the heyday of the This is I don't know I just think it's it's culturally illustrative, of, the the where the majority of the Campbells sat as far as, yeah what they spoke like I said culturally, anyway I just want to include them because I I see these these twelve hundred warriors coming as a dowry they're going to end up basically they fit all the criteria of Galloglass they're coming from the West Highlands they're gallic speaking they're settling in Northern Ireland and they're going to fight for Irish lords and so. There you have it. So there's the McSweens, the Cummins, and the Campbells. Ever, you know, if you've done any reading on the Galaglass, you, you've seen the McSweens being in part, as a part of this. However, it, you may not have ever seen the fact that the Cummins were in on this as well as the the Campbells were involved. So just a couple at the very tail end of this discussion on Gala of things you might might not have expected to hear. I think that's interesting, so I'm going to share this on Facebook. As it'll be on the, the Scottish Clans Facebook page, which is facebook.com forward slash Scottish correction, facebook.com forward slash Clans of Scotland, and then I'm going to reach out to other Facebook pages of the Clans who were involved in this episode, I'm going to share this with you, and I hope it's value-added. I hope you enjoy listening to this, and I hope it's educational. And it helps you understand. Maybe if you have some of these surnames in your family tree, then you'll see, you'll see maybe some background of the, your, your people and where you come from. It's, it's kind of been really interesting. It's been a pleasure to create these. So please engage with me on this discussion. Like I said, I'll have this episode posted on the Scottish Clans Facebook page. And I gave you the URL to that earlier. In addition to that, the, the link that I post on there will take you to podbean.com if you're just clicking on a desktop computer. So that's the podbean.com is the web host that I use for this. So you can pick up the conversation. I've had converse, uh, I've had comments and discussion there on the podbean app. And then I've, but I've also had some really good comments and, and very much enjoyed your reaching out and leaving comments and questions on the, on the Facebook page. So either way, whatever effort you've made to reach out to me, I sure appreciate it. And by the way, I just had, let me tell you who it was. I'm going to give him credit for his name here. There's somebody who reached out and was asking me about his background, and I gave him a source. It was Jimmy Butcher from Australia. And he says, hey, mate, love the podcast, been listening for a while, super interesting, and great to learn. Just wondering, I've always been told that I have Scottish heritage, I've done some research but I'm having trouble finding some serious direct links. And he goes on to tell me the specific names and who's who and how where he needs to go and he's just asking for some 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 guidance here. And I so if you've listened to episode 2 you know that I'm a Latter-day Saint. I belong to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And one thing that our church has has put on the internet and it's free that you don't get that they're not charging anything for it, is a, a genealogy resource. It's called familysearch.org. And I just want to let you all know that I think that that is completely wide open for people who are not of our faith. And it's a great resource. And here's why I'm very confident that it's, that anybody can go on there and get a free account. I was at an army school out in Fort Bragg, North Carolina. And one of my classmates was a black gentleman from Detroit. He's a, uh, he was in, so we're reserve officers and he was in the, he's a law enforcement guy. And anyway, I got to talk, he's got, he's from Detroit, but he's got deep South roots. And I thought, I think that's really interesting. I got to ask him about his family history. and We got into this genealogical conversation and I told him about family search and he was interested in it. And this is not a person who's of my faith. And so we went up, so we have, when we were staying, going to this course where they had these these rooms that we're staying in. It's kind of like a hotel room, but it's not really a hotel. Anyway, we went up to my room where we had a Wi-Fi connection. we got the laptops out and he was actually able to get on there and find some things out. And all of a sudden he's on the phone with his dad, ask him about this and that. And so I don't know if that's going to be the true story for everybody who tries this, but it worked for him and he actually got really excited about it. And I was, I was really glad that I could be helpful in that way. So there's one research, familysearch.org. Also, I've done a lot of Looking back through my different lines on ancestry.com, which is another resource, I think, that has done some good things. There's a lot of them out there, though. This is kind of becoming a big deal, this family history thing, which is kind of at the root of this, not kind of, it is at the root of this whole podcast, and the idea for this podcast. Let's just discuss specifically our Scottish roots and the clan system and the, yeah, all that stuff. I just always found it fascinating. So thanks for joining me today. Like I said, pre- please interact with me and keep up the conversation on the, on the resources I gave you before. On the Facebook page, I've got pictures of the gala glass. In case you're wondering what they look like, I included some stuff on there that might be helpful for you. Um, if you are listening to this on a typical podcast platform, such as, how is it? Is it iTunes still? Apple Podcasts? iTunes? Whichever one of those you're listening to it on, Go ahead and leave me a, a review. Give me as many stars as you can, as you feel honest doing. And um, leave me not just the stars, but the actual comments on the review. I'd love that. So, uh, and any other platform that you're listening on. we got on Spotify and through the Podbean app, I can see what people are doing this on. And apparently you can. this can feed out and branch into other platforms that I don't even know about. And so whatever you're listening to it on, if you can, please reach out and, and leave me a review. And just let me know how I'm doing. I'm open. I'm open to stuff. Um, I did have somebody ask me, I had John Sinclair ask me if I was going to do an episode on Henry Sinclair and his voyage to America pre-Columbus. And so that would be a little bit outside of the scope of this podcast. It'd be just about the life of one particular chief, which I'm not, I've mentioned before, I'm, I'm open to doing future podcasts on individuals, but that's usually the progenitors of certain clans like Summerlid or, or this Anaheim is tied in with a few of the other clans of South, uh, the, the Southwest Highlands, Argyle, Western Isles stuff. So if I fi- find some of those guys and it's, and it's an impactful conversation on the clans, and I'll discuss an individual. With Henry Sinclair, he doesn't really fit that, although, John Sinclair, if you're listening to this, I do think that is really, really interesting, the possibility that he had done that. I know there's people that debate it, but I keep, I I retain a, a fairly open mind on stuff like that, so thank you for reaching out. I hope you guys have enjoyed this, and I hope to have you with me next time. Have a great day.